Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Dr. Robert T. Muller on trauma treatment through an attachment theory lens. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Robert T. Muller, who trained at Harvard, was on the faculty at the University of Massachusetts, and is currently at York University in Toronto. Dr. Muller is a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, for his work on trauma treatment. He recently released Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up, which was awarded the 2019 ISSTD, that stands for International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, award for the year's best written work on trauma. His award-winning bestseller, Trauma and the Avoiding client has been translated widely. As lead investigator on several multi-site programs to treat interpersonal trauma, Dr. Muller has lectured internationally in Australia, the United Kingdom, Europe, and the U.S. He's been a keynote speaker at mental health conferences in both New Zealand and Canada, and he founded an online magazine the Trauma and Mental Health Report, which has now been visited by over 100,000 readers a year. He has over 25 years of experience in the field, and he currently practices in Toronto. I have to tell everybody that I actually loved his book, um, Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up. The subtitle is From Avoidance to Recovery and Growth. And a good deal of the book is about attachment, our relationship to our clients, how trauma impacts attachment relationships, how the therapist-client relationship impacts the client's ability to resolve traumatic experiences. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I have the book all highlighted and marked up with sticky notes. And um, I know you're really going to enjoy hearing what he has to share. So he will be joining us in just a second. Get ready for an immersive, in-depth series of discussions featuring the one and only Michael Trout alongside Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Coming soon to the Knowledge Center is Navigating Hollowed Ground, insights on how attachment impacts who we are and how we serve others. Using select readings from Michael Trout's upcoming book release, Michael and Karen will dive deep into four topics presented in four sessions. Participants will receive the readings prior to each meeting to deepen the discussion and enhance the experience. And since the readings come directly from Trout's book, This Hollowed Ground Four Decades in Infant Mental Health, you're getting advanced excerpts from the book. For more information or to register for the sessions, head to tkcchaddock.org. All right. Well, welcome back, Dr. Mullen. Great to continue this discussion with you. Hi. Hi, Karen. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm and so, very happy to, to talk with you again. Yeah. And so last time we were, we were getting a bit into um, some 
maybe specific presentations of attachment and things that you uncover in um, using the adult attachment interview. Um, and um, I wanted to, to visit, you know, the other end of the continuum with, with lots of emoting, lots of affect, you know, rather than the dampening of affect that we were talking about with avoiding or, or dismissing clients. So what, what are some thoughts that you have about that kind of presentation and how the therapist might be handling that? Absolutely. So uh, it's very important to to um, understand, of course, that uh, different people react to uh, uh, maladaptive histories, uh, adverse childhood uh, events and experiences in very different ways. Sometimes even within the same family, yes. you might have a situation where uh, you have a, a family that there's tremendous malattunement. There is uh, there may be a, a physical or sexual abuse, but not even necessarily. There may be in, an invalidating environment, um, emotional abuse, um, uh, very negative statements uh, to, toward the child, and, and, and an inability to empathize with the child in a chronic way. Uh, and you might have siblings within the same family where one child has an avoidant attachment pattern and their um, older brother or, or, or older sister um, has has a preoccupied or disorganized attachment pattern. So we will see different kinds of um, insecure attachment patterns among, among children uh, in the same family. What we know is that when you have a family where there is this kind of invalidating environment uh, and, and or trauma, what we see is a much higher likelihood of some kind of insecure attachment pattern. Um, what kind of insecurity will be different for different people? And we don't know necessarily how to predict perfectly, but we do know that it raises the probability of some kind of insecure attachment pattern. And so you might have conflicts in families where one person says, oh, dad was great. You know, yeah, he whacked us around a bit, but you know, that's what all dads did back then. You know, it was the 90s. Everybody did that you know which which is of course not true um, but they might say that as a and then you might have the sibling saying what are you talking about you know that's you know and, and kind of completely different beliefs about the same story opposite ways of emotionally understanding the same set of events even yes. within the same family so yeah. I'm really glad you're raising this because uh, because you, you you see this a lot, um, and uh, and so the preoccupied attachment pattern, uh, as as you mentioned, um, is uh, uh, one where you see people who are what's said uh, said to be preoccupied because they are preoccupied by hurt. Uh, there's a tendency to to be able to to a tendency to hold on to hurts and a difficulty letting go of hurts. Um, there's a lot of anger, there's a tendency to have low self-esteem, a tendency to define oneself by others rather than by one's, um, you know, um, kind of being a difficulty finding an internal identity and kind of clinging to other relationships and defining themselves by others. We see that a lot in preoccupied attachment. And, and fear of abandonment is very common. We see this also with disorganized attachment, but more centrally in disorganized attachment, uh, because you can have disorganized people who also have avoidant attachment patterns. Um, more centrally with disorganized attachment, what we see is a lot of dissociation and just 
difficulty being able to think about their trauma stories because they they check out or there's real fragmentation um, and and difficulty uh, grieving losses you know the losses um, you know often when they start talking about them they uh, become uh, they don't have a, a stable way of really being able to even understand their own story, and they and they get lost, and and, and there's some dissociation actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and uh, and when people are overwhelmed by their affect, what we want to do is we want to help create a window of tolerance. So this is an important idea in the trauma literature, helping slowly increase the ability of people to be able to deal with, sit with, metabolize the emotions that are associated with memories. And so as memories come up, um, being able to sit with their emotions. I have a client right now who's really struggling because, you know, uh, so she's got a, a preoccupied attachment style um, and a boyfriend, a trauma history, and a boyfriend who keeps breaking up with her and wanting to get back together again with her. And she feels she has to decide immediately, within two seconds, yes, I'm going to, you know, yes, I'm going to, and I'm saying to her, slow down. And she doesn't even know what that means. It's so hard for her because mm-hmm. the idea of slowing down is foreign. You have to quickly do something. Otherwise, you're lost. And so, and, and, and you know, that's where she's at in her work right now. But, there are, but you know, this, you know, what, what she needs help with and what we will work on and what other clients need help with who have similar patterns is slowing things down and building a window of tolerance, starting to be able to deal with trauma-related feelings. What are trauma-related feelings? Vulnerability, abandonment, betrayal, fear. Those are trauma-related feelings. We see all of these uh, examples of these when we do the adult attachment interview or or, or in in, uh, the separation anxiety test, which is the child version of the adult attachment interview. But those kind of feelings, vulnerability, betrayal, abandonment, loss is another important one. Those are all feelings that are, they feel unbearable. Do you put shame in there? And shame, shame, yeah. You know, there are, uh, yeah, shame too. Yeah, absolutely. These feelings are unbearable. And so helping people start to bear those feelings, tolerate those feelings, sit with those feelings, breathe through them, um, notice them, pay attention to them, and and then notice what happens to them. Um, notice how they get triggered, and then just, just starting with noticing and then noticing their triggers, journaling. What does that feel like? What is shame telling you? Um, what is betrayal telling you? Um, and, and starting to sit with when they're getting triggered. Um, and then helping them begin to bring in grounding when they're triggered is so foreign to them, but that slowly builds a window of tolerance so that they can start to be able to bear the feelings. Um, that's what we do a lot of in the earlier work, uh, the safety and stabilization work of trauma yes. therapy. Right. And and you do reference in, in your book, and it's all over the literature at this time as well, a phase-based, phase-based approach to trauma treatment where you do have to have some stabilization and um, bringing in ways to, to regulate 
intense affect into the treatment. Yes, yes, absolutely. Exactly. Um, Sometimes in the literature, what you see people do is they do the safety and stabilization piece, and then that's it. It's the end of therapy. And the problem there is you haven't helped the person um, find a way to actually tell their story. Mm -hmm. And so phase two often gets lost. And uh, can you help people who have a preoccupied attachment or who have dissociation and like disorganized attachment be able to tell their story? Yes, you can. <laughs> you can. But it means helping them first build that window of tolerance slowly, noticing their feelings. Um, and then as they tell their story, helping them sit with the feelings. Because it's the feelings that really are unbearable you know as trauma related memories come up it's the feelings that they raise the meaning that comes with them the losses that they start to feel that feel unbearable so helping them be able to unpack those feelings slowly so it's a slow process for some people and uh but uh being able to to bear those feelings that's where the phase two work comes in is helping them find a way to tell their story um, and to do that in a way where their feelings don't get the better of them yeah and maybe you should share the other phases just for overall context if someone's not familiar with the phase-based approach to trauma treatment sure sure so so phase one is called safety and stabilization we, as, as i mentioned before yeah. phase, phase two really is <clears throat> i'll just call it telling the story it's mm -hmm. helping the helping the person be able to talk about some of the, the, the if it's a single story of, of a single event trauma or if it's if they've had multiple traumas, it may be um, giving some examples of. Because I have clients also who might say, I might say to them, "Tell me the trauma story," or that sort of idea, and right. they might say, "Oh, you know." Is there a single day in my childhood where there wasn't something traumatic that happened to me? And so it's not necessarily about one single event. It's more about an example of multiple events. Um, and so uh, uh, with a woman who I worked with, a with a very severe domestic violence history, um, where for two or three years she was uh, essentially tortured by her by her partner until yes. the partner the partner actually died um, due to due to unrelated events um, uh, so there were many many examples so we didn't go through every single trauma story what we did is we picked a couple examples that were meaningful that were important and so uh, where there were important emotions associated and we and what we did is we slowed those stories down and I used a trauma narrative approach where we, uh, I didn't come up with this, where the person writes out the story. But I have them use a multimodal technique where they write it out, we talk about it, I read parts of it back, they read parts of it back, then we talk about what are you feeling right now, let's go back over it. It's not an exposure therapy approach. What it is really, I mean, sure, there's a little exposure therapy, but what it is is, is it's really sitting with the feel associated what's going on between you and me as we talk about this um, it's really very much emotion regulation making meaning understanding um, how it relates to their current life as well parts of the story so 
um, it's making sense of their history is how I see it. And so that's, that's the, the second phase. The third phase, um, which is often called reconnection in trauma therapy, means that the person is reconnecting to parts of themselves that had been lost to the trauma. So as people start to tell their story, as people start to have a better window of tolerance, they start to find parts of themselves that were lost to the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe self-determination, a sense of, hey, you know, before I met this guy, I actually made some decisions about my life. I actually used to be a funny person. What happened to that part of me? And they notice that they're starting to be funny again. I have another client who has a domestic violence history who has recently been talking about um, how she, when she was a kid, she used to do all this poetry. We're, we're now really embarking on fit both uh, uh, phase one and and two of of the work in in, in great detail. And she's starting to notice, you know, I'm starting to read poetry again. That's weird. I haven't for like five years, you know, like before she met this guy. Um, And she's kind of finding this part of herself. And she's saying, you know, it's it's weird. Like I'm starting to, and she's finding parts of herself that had been lost for a while to the trauma. Um, reconnection also is about finding relationships with others who have similar histories as oneself. And so reconnecting to others. And so that's, that's another piece of the work. So that's in a nutshell, the phase-based approach to trauma therapy. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Before we move on, there is one thing I wanted to point out. um, And that is the, um, you know, what Mary Main talks about um, with the adult, attachment interview is that uh, dismissing and avoidance are when you look at that um, classification versus preoccupation they're really two sides of the same coin and I do think sometimes our preoccupied folks get a bad rap because (laughs) they kind of wear their issues on their sleeves more I think people jump to labeling things like borderline personality disorder much too quickly and it's and and there's almost a valuing of more avoidant dismissing you know that that suppression of emotion and put on a stiff upper lip and let's just you know say that it was good for me in the end after all. So I just wanted to, you know, highlight those are two defensive strategies that are um, both covering up pain. I think we culturally accept one more than another. Um, And I think there, there are even some gender things that come in there, but I I just wanted to to say that, that, uh, uh, yeah. So let me yes, l- go ahead. let me let me comment on that. The yes. gender things are interesting. Um, uh, uh, so males who have so sure, it's easy to sort of say males, uh, you know, uh, avoidant tends to be more yes. with males and, and preoccupied tends to be more with females. In fact, I've been working for many years with trauma clients, and I've seen both with both. I agree. So it looks, it just looks a little bit different. So sure, you, you get women with the uh, men who have, you know, obviously the uh, who, who use this uh, stoic approach, you have women as well. And what they come across as, um, you know, they get labeled as, quote, bitchy, as 
as as as cold. You know, they get labeled in that way. Yeah. And then with guys who um, have, so women uh, who have the preoccupied attachment style get labeled as crazy. You're, you're not seeing me, but I'm because uh, this is an audio interview. But I'm doing a lot of air quotes here. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so please understand that I am I am using um, uh, I'm using these terms um, in a in a facetious or, or a, a satirical way. Um, so women who get labeled as quote crazy and that sort of thing, guys who have a preoccupied attachment can be quite scary. Um, they can be quite jealous and um, and and preoccupied by their hurts and can be quite dangerous actually. Um, you know uh, uh, and can actually be um, won't let go of their hurts and could actually sometimes can be violent. And so you know we see both with both. Um, and so it's it's important to to recognize that. Um, it's also important to recognize, I, I agree with you 100%, the um, avoidant detachment pattern, uh, you know, the, the traditional kind of stoic approach is valued by many people. Um, I think nowadays we're, we're getting into a situation where people are increasingly understanding that talking about your feelings is helpful and important. Yes. Yes. And, and uh, with many people who have the, quote, preoccupied attachment style, um, they can, they have an ability. They can talk about their feelings. And that yes. actually is a good thing. Yes. And so with people who have suffered, especially when there are losses um, and they're showing a lot of distress, uh, sometimes I actually think that that can be better than the person who has lost so much and they say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yes. And 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 they're so brittle and struggling, but they won't tell anybody. So that can be a huge problem. So both can have their advantages and disadvantages. I agree with you 100%, Karen. And both can have, you know, both can have their advantages and both can have their disadvantages. Yeah. And I think we as therapists need to just pay attention to what skills and coping strategies people are coming in with and yeah. then what needs they have that have been unmet by the ways that, by the choices they've made in their lives so thank you thank you so much for for that clarification um you know i'm walking back a little bit uh from the discussion to a little bit more bigger picture statement and um that is and and you've obviously alluded to this but i just want to like state it Trauma puts us at greater risk for insecure attachment. Um, so, you know, we're getting uh, further into the big picture of this a little bit. And, you know, in a way, I guess that's obvious, but um, I, I would like you to maybe talk a little bit about that and the fact that um, trauma also can, uh, or secure attachment can be a buffer for trauma. Um, so, you know, just kind of those concepts in terms of attachment theory and how it interrelates. So, so you do point out, you know, in various places of the book, and you've already alluded to it, that, that trauma puts us at risk for insecure attachment. And those who've had uh, trauma in their history are less likely to have a secure attachment. So could you just share with listeners just a little bit about that more broad idea? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So people are complicated, and um, and these things aren't one to one. You have people who have uh, so trauma puts you at risk for greater, uh, p p as I mentioned, uh, puts you at risk for insecure attachment. 
management. And uh, what we see is that about three quarters of trauma survivors have an insecure attachment pattern. And uh, what that means is that about one quarter of trauma survivors have a secure attachment pattern. That's kind of weird and interesting, isn't it? You can have a a traumatic history and yet still be securely attached. Now, again, trauma puts you at risk for, because this is how we work as people, it's not a one-to-one thing. You know, our, the effects that we've had in our lives are risk factors or protective factors. And then there's our internal genetics and there are other relationships that we have. And there's our teachers and our friendships and our siblings and all these things weigh into how we make sense of our lives and whether we had a good guy guidance counselor when we were in school and whether we had a good uh, uh, college professor who taught us something important about ourselves. And all these things can act as buffers or they can act as increasing risk factors in, in, in ways that influence how people are as adults. Um, and so, as I mentioned, li- life's complicated. So you can have someone who has a trauma history who nevertheless actually uh, is securely attached, perhaps because of other factors that happened in their lives that have been corrective emotional experiences and let them be let it be possible for them to turn out a little bit better and so it's interesting when you see and i give an example in the book of someone who's a trauma survivor who nevertheless is securely attached the way he talks about his history is in this way that i mean he's got a bad history he's in pain he's struggling with it you you get the example in the book of 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 what a difficult story he lived through but he talks about it in a way where there's balance where there's a certain amount of pain that he can verbalize he's coming in for therapy because he's struggling this guy actually was struggling because his relationship with his girlfriend was was difficult he was a college student etc etc but this is a guy who could talk about things with some balance he talked about his mom without hatred or without such you know with without venom but with empathy but yet he was in pain. He didn't sort of, quote, let her off the hook. He didn't say, oh, she was, it was fantastic. No, uh, he, he was saying, you know, this was, this was really hard. And so there was an ability to sit with some difficult feelings. And so as you can imagine, this guy responded to therapy quite quickly. Yes. He, you know, he, he, you know, within six months or so, or maybe less, maybe three or four months, he was, you know, he was, this is the kind of guy who was really doing the homework assignments and this and that and the other thing. He was, he moved very quickly in therapy. Yes, yes. Um, Yeah. You say in the book um, that the hallmark of secure attachment is balance. And, you know, in terms of getting back even to what we were talking about earlier with the adult attachment interview, and I think that this is the beauty of, of the work that we do, but that... Um, It's not what happened in terms of the technical story and facts, but how a person makes sense of the facts. And, um, you know, I think that someone coming in like that with um, uh, on the secure end of the continuum and can use treatment readily and, and build a trusting relationship perhaps more quickly. But, you know, there's also hope uh, as we're talking about this for uh, folks who are, earn secure or who are coming to us with 
really awful things that happen. But if we can, as the clinician and as you're describing in this book, help to metabolize that emotion, build the window of tolerance, you know, help one to make sense of what happened. I mean, that that's the story, I think, of, of such hope for us that you can have a really awful history that that you can you know, recover from and also move towards a secure attachment pattern if you're not there already. Yep, exactly. And uh, so it's very important to recognize that I, I agree with you that uh, um, people who start with what's called an earned secure attachment pattern, yes, they do respond more quickly to therapy. Um, but most of the book is actually about people who have an insecure attachment pattern. Yes, because, yeah. because like I said, trauma, you know, uh, among trauma survivors, three quarters have an insecure attachment pattern. And what my research, I, I don't talk about this as much in my book, except a little bit briefly, because um, the book is a little bit more clinically focused. But in my, um, in my life as a professor and researcher, we have several studies that we've done um, here in Toronto uh, where we found uh, uh, change in attachment pattern as a result of trauma therapy. Yeah. So bo- both a study that we and did. And that's what I was trying to get at. Yes. So both a study that we did at Women's College Hospital in Toronto, as well as a study that we did at Homewood Health Center in Guelph, Ontario, um, and then some of the other studies that we've done um, uh, here in the city um, have shown that that you can, through trauma therapy, people um, can improve in their attachment pattern from insecure to to secure. Um, not everybody, not 100%, that sort of thing, but there is a significant change and a, clini- and a clinically meaningful change in the extent to which people um, uh, express uh, the secure attachment pattern um, uh, over time in therapy, and that that change can, can be even maintained at follow-up, in, in follow-up. Uh, studies. So, um, and there have been a few other people who have looked at that as well. Uh, but that's an important piece that, that to remember for therapists is that yes. attachment can change. Or perhaps move from disorganized into an organized strategy. So exactly. that that's progress as well to, to um, uh, no longer have those um, dissociative experiences and and um, a lot of PTSD symptomology. Um, so maybe exactly. you're still kind of avoidant or, you know, preoccupied, but you're in an organized, you have an organized strategy that you're relying on. I think sometimes we, sometimes we, I don't want to say set our sights too high, but when really horrific things have happened, you know, we have to look for incremental change. And maybe that's change for somebody that's moving towards an organized strategy rather than disorganized. We, we 100%, we found that as well in, in, in our studies. Uh, so again, both in the studies we did in Toronto and in Guelph, um, we found exactly that, that people went from um, disorganized, so again, not everybody, but there was a, a greater likelihood Likelihood uh, post therapy of uh, people having an organized uh, strategy than they did previously, and those treatment gains were maintained as well. We found that in uh, studies that that looked uh, anyway. I won't go into great detail, but that that is exactly what we found, and those people did better. Exactly as you're saying, if you have an organized strategy defensively, that is much better than having no strategy and dissociating. Exactly. Yes, yes, and I suppose we should add, even though. Um, 
a lot of our listeners are clinicians and your book is a clinical book that we also know that um, a long-term stable relationship, a romantic relationship, a partner relationship also moves towards people towards security. So I don't want to fail to mention that as another hopeful thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, it's not just therapy is not the only way for people to be able to improve Uh, good, good relationships. Um, You know, it's interesting, the book Push by Ramona Lofton, the, the film Precious, really kind of you know, um, uh, shows a, a beautiful example of a relationship with um, a teacher yes. and, and the, the power of mentorship and a really good teacher in uh, helping somebody move toward um, uh, greater psychological health. So, yeah, yes. I think that's a yes. really good point. Yes, yeah. yes. So, wow, talking to you has been even more wonderful than reading your book. Um, which I am heavily recommending to everybody. So I want you to take some time here to talk about both of your books. Um, before we wrap up, this has been just a really wonderful discussion. I'm, I've learned so much from your book and appreciate everything that you're sharing and want people to be able to, to find it and hear about your first book as well. Sure, sure. So, uh, so my most recent book, Trauma and the Struggle to Open Up, um, really focuses um, heavily on using the psychotherapy relationship as a tool to help the person heal, how to navigate the ups and downs of the relationship with challenging trauma clients, how to uh, pace the process of opening up, uh, really focuses on that. The first book, Trauma in the Avoidant Client, focuses squarely on avoidant attachment and how to help people with uh, uh, the avoidant attachment pattern, but who have also have trauma histories, um, how to help them be able to talk about their uh, struggles. And uh, if you want to find out about either of these, uh, probably the easiest way is just to Google my full name, Robert T. Muller. that's M-U-L-L-E-R. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, let's see, I, I've got a Psychology Today website, um, sorry, a Psychology Today blog. Yes. As well as a, um, uh, a uh, Amazon.com page, author page. So there's, there's stuff there. Those are good. some ways to find out about me. Good, good. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today and being a guest on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast thank you it was really fun to talk to you i really enjoyed it karen thanks so much uh-huh bye-bye thank you for joining us for this edition of the attachment theory in action podcast please follow our site tkcchattock.org or subscribe on apple Podcasts, google play spotify or podbean for future episodes if you enjoyed our podcast please leave a review and share with your professional network for additional resources training opportunities and blogs please log on to tkcchattock.org we hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption trauma and attachment theory